Hello, and welcome to Our Savior's Lutheran Church Sermons. I'm Pastor Joshua Kurdenbach. Today we are celebrating the festival of the martyrdom of St. John the Baptist. The Gospel reading is from the Gospel according to St. Mark, the sixth chapter. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said he is Elijah, and others said he's a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came for Herod on his birthday to give a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give to you up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, For what should I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry. But because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison, and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. This is the word of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. With these words, St. John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ, preached repentance to Herod Antipas, the tetrarch of Galilee and Perea, for he had unlawfully divorced his first wife, Phasileus of Nabatea, and convinced his brother Herod Philip's wife, Herodias, to leave and marry him instead. So like the prophet Nathan, who rebuked David for his adultery and murder, and the prophet Elijah, who rebuked Ahab for his idolatry, John the Baptist, as God's prophet, rebuked his ruler for his sin of adultery and incest, for having his brother's wife, who was one flesh with him. It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. These words accused Herod of sin, but also called him to repentance. Herodias did not see it like that. Herodias saw this as an affront to her and her new husband's honor, some wild-looking man living at the edge of civilization, wearing camel hair and a leather belt, bringing into question the legitimacy and sanctity of their royal marriage. She saw it as an insult to her power and prestige, similar to how Jezebel saw Elijah's preaching as an attack on Ahab. It's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife, John said. She held a grudge against him. The Greek is a little more expressive. She nursed a grudge against him. She did not like his preaching. She did not like the implication for her and Herod's life. She did not desire to hear the word of God, and so she wanted to put him to death. Herod Having at least some measure of reverence for God does not want this to happen. It could have easily been made to look like an accident. It may have even been an outright assassination. The Herodian family, after all, was full of events like this. He could not do it 
because he feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. Herod knew that John was a prophet. He knew that he was preaching the word of God and that God willed for him repentance and to put away his brother's wife from him. But he didn't want to do it. He rather liked his current life, his way of living, his way of ruling, and Herodias was helpful for him in this. She was a great schemer, and the histories tell us many of his more bold political moves were motivated by and for Herodias. Herod knew it would have been a great sin to kill John, so instead of arresting him, he made him his prisoner. But God's word was making some effect on him, for he would bring John into his presence to hear him preach, and it greatly perplexed him, but he heard him gladly. Herod knows he should heed the prophet's call to repentance, but he doesn't. He resists the Spirit's prompting. He resists the working of the Spirit in the Word and the preaching of John, even though he gladly hears it. This stubborn lack of repentance by Herod shows the scourge of unrepentance. It shows how when one is unrepentant, stubbornly refusing to repent despite the admonition of the Spirit working through the Word and preaching, one heaps sin upon sin. This is seen all the more clearly in his banquet that he holds. The Jewish people at this time did not celebrate birthdays. The fact that Herod does so shows that he's following the Roman practice, trying to emulate the court of Rome and impress his imperial overlords. In this, he's concerned with honoring himself. He throws himself this birthday banquet in celebration of himself and to impress his nobles and military commanders under him so that they too may think highly of him. Pride is in the background of this entire feast, but he also heaps gluttony and drunkenness on as well. For in copying the Roman fashion, the feast would have been full of an abundance of rich foods and strong drink with the sole purpose of having the participants overindulge. Then add lust. For Herod's stepdaughter, Salome, the daughter of Herodias and Philip, is sent in to dance in the lascivious manner of a courtesan. She care, he cares nothing for her integrity or virtue, but rather exposes her to shame to satisfy his and his guests' lust. Normally, women wouldn't have even been allowed at the feast at all. The gospel mentions that Herodias was not present in the room. This confirms that Herod was following the Roman practice. It would have been scandalous for Salome's presence at all, let alone her presence as a dancer. Following this, he sins yet again by making a rash oath, saying, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. Whatever you ask me, I will give to you up to half my kingdom. Salome, corrupted and sinful as her stepfather and her mother, goes with haste to Herodias to ask what she shall ask for. Herodias wastes no time in asking for the head of John the Baptist. Salome does not object, but relishes the opportunity, and seeing the sinful feast adds another plate into the mix, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Herod, the gospel says, was exceedingly sorry. He felt guilt. He felt sorrow for what had happened and what would happen, but he was not repentant. For if he was repentant, he would have abandoned his rash and sinful vow. He would have refused the murder and all the rest. He is sorrowful, but he is not repentant. For immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. Sin upon sin upon sin. This is the way of unrepentance. Let it never be so among us, brothers and sisters. Let us never refuse repentance. Let us not harden our consciences by casting aside repentance because we're happy with a particular sin or do not like the consequences of repenting. And if you have been, repent. 
For God is gracious and merciful. He does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn from his way and live. St. Paul asks us in our epistle today, Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? We know, by the grace of God, that Christ Jesus gave his life as an offering for sin. Why would we continue in sin? The Christian life, that is, the baptized life, is presented here beautifully by Paul. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in the newness of life. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we have died to sin. Why return to it? Why continue in it? That is what unrepentance is. The Christian life is not one of perfection, for we still carry around with us our sinful flesh until the day we are called to Christ, or until he returns in glory, whichever comes first. But we're called to live with a repentant faith, not to seek out sin as the flesh wants, but to follow God's law as the new life wants. When we fall into sin, we're called to repent, to acknowledge it, and to turn away, to despise ourselves and trust in Christ. For we who have been baptized have been baptized into Christ's death. By faith we have been united with him and his death on the cross. By faith we have been united with his resurrection. We now live a new life, one where we are forgiven and always have access to the grace of God, where we are able by God's grace and indwelling to walk in a newness of life, following his will. For we have been united to Christ by faith so that we may live in him and after his way of life, living in the newness of life which Christ gives, so that we may not live a life of unrepentant sin, but a life shaped by faith in him, a life marked by good works which flow from faith and are shaped by our vocation, a life of daily repentance which knows that our debt has been paid and that we no longer belong to ourselves, but to Christ Jesus our Savior. And the life of a Christian is a life which continues even in the midst of death. Herod sought to silence St. John by having him put to death rather than repent. Yet his life did not end there. Herod's sin continued to plague his conscience, and he found no relief, for he never came to repentance. When Christ Jesus our Lord was preaching in Galilee and performing many signs and wonders, Herod's first thought was, John, whom I have beheaded, has been raised. Ever since then, Herod sought to meet him, to see whether or not it was John. Surely, as always, he heard the preaching of John in the back of his mind. It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Yet, by the time of Jesus' passion, any sorrow Herod had was gone. For when our Lord stood before him and would not answer him, Herod and his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. And even now, St. John's preaching still rings throughout the world whenever the gospel is read, and all hear the indictment on Herod. It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. When John the Baptist was put to death, his life continued. He received the glorious martyr's crown because the Lord kept him steadfast in the faith in Jesus Christ, whom he proclaimed as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He continued to live in the presence of God, where under the heavenly altar his soul yearns for justice and to be united with his body once again, so that he can experience the full life which was won for him by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. Like John the forerunner, our earthly lives will one day come to an end. And while we may not be called to die a martyr's death like John, 
we can still give a witness to the hope that we have. For what, it, for that is what the word martyr means. It comes from the Greek word for witness. We know that when we die, it's not our final end. We know that while our soul and body become separated and our body returns to the dust, our soul lives on waiting to be reunited in the resurrection of all flesh. By faith in Christ, we trust that we will be with him. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that we do not need to fear. For Christ Jesus our Lord has died and been resurrected, and by his death he's defeated death. We trust his word, for he has gone on before us. He has gone to prepare a place for us. So, in our manner of life, in our words, and even how we face our inevitable deaths, we can give a witness to the hope we have in Christ. Even when we're surrounded by a fallen and at times terrible world, one where there are murderous tyrants, terrorist regimes, pandemics, droughts, fires, cancers, and all kinds of diseases and accidents, even in the midst of all this we live and have the hope of the resurrection to life eternal, a hope grounded in Jesus Christ, a hope which John the Baptist shared, a hope which is ground in a faith that dispenses of any trust in ourselves and relies solely in Jesus, a hope which will find its fulfillment on the great and terrible day of the Lord, where by God's grace and for the sake of Jesus Christ, we who have shared in our Lord's death will likewise share in his resurrection. May we, by God's grace, ever share and reflect this hope until it comes to fruition. Thanks be to God. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Thank you for joining us today for our sermon. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.